Welcome to episode 127 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I never thought I would say 127. We've done a lot of episodes now. It's it's uh, interesting. All right. So I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Did you get any observing in? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is episode 128. It is. Oh, did I misnumber this? Well, well, no. So the title here of your notes is, you know, episode 128 and 129. Um, so, and I, I just took a look at, uh, you know, us on <laughs> Apple uh, podcast app. <laughs> yeah, we've got 127 there. <laughs> oh, oh, well, there we go. Well, that's, that's why it seems so strange. I'm looking at that number here now as I'm reading this and I'm going, I, I could read this off again. I'll do this really quick. Welcome to the Actual Astronomy <laughs> Podcast. This is episode 128. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomer, but like a little bit of time. Scan this for podcast and everyone else likes going out of the stars. Okay, there we go. <laughs> that was impressive. <laughs> Didn't know you had that speed. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually me doing it, folks. Yeah, that was that was real time. <laughs> well, All right. um, yeah, my week was was good. I was, uh, you know, I was busy at work, as I was mentioning to you. Um, I'm off this coming week. I'm on vacation or staycation. So, uh, you know, it was kind of nose to the grindstone to get everything done. But I did have two nights out. One was intentional. One was unintentional. And uh, so my <laughs> unintentional night off, you're sleepwalking again, eh? Well, no, my... <laughs> My geriatric dog was, um, uh, she's got, I don't know what's going on with her, but anyway, she was not having a good night last night. Oh no. And, uh, so I was up with her and we were outside at about, it was three eighteen AM and it cleared off. I was up. Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful out. Um, yeah. it, there was a little bit of transparency issues, uh, to the South, like Jupiter was definitely behind a little bit of haze, you know, or yeah, I, I didn't guess the set haze up. Was, yeah, I didn't either, but did you notice the noctilucence at, at 20 after three? Like I did notice that brightening, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very strange conditions. So I, I don't so want to derail. Yeah. I didn't want well, to derail ahead. your story, but I, I've been getting up at night. I, I have been doing observing some evenings and some overnight sessions. Mm -hmm. And uh, so was it, was it colder on your side of town? Cause you're on the exact opposite end of the city as I am. Was it cold over there? Well, I don't know what the temperature was. I was outside in a t-shirt and shorts and yeah. it was definitely a little cool, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't too bad, although I was barely awake. So who knows what, you know, yeah. <laughs> what the real feeling was there. Cause I don't know what's going on with the, the temperature gauges here in the city. So the, the airport, which is South of Shane, it's sort of, if, if you drew a line South of Shane to the airport, and then you came over to my house, it would form this giant right angle triangle, more or less, I, I think. Anyway, it could be wrong. You, you know the yeah, label. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. More or less. And um, so two nights ago, it was reading eight degrees, but it was really clear. And Or I shouldn't say it was really clear. It was reading clear. It wasn't supposed to be clear. So I checked. I, was, I woke up. I looked at my watch and it said, it's clear. And I'm like, I'm going observing. So it was like two o'clock in the morning. So I get up and uh, I go out. I... I I put on like a sweater and uh, like a vest and a hat. And I'm like, I might be a little cold, but I, I'm not going to be up for that long. And it'll, it'll be fine. You know, I can always just run in. I'm going to be just observing my backyard. So, uh, so I went out, I'm out. I'm like, man, it's warm. It's not eight degrees. <laughs> so well, again, I look at my gauge and it had just flipped to 11. It was 12. And I mean, when it's still and clear and you're sort of well sheltered, 12 degrees is very pleasant 
for both you and mosquitoes, it turns out. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. last night it was saying five and a half degrees. And then I looked at my gauge and it was, it was 11 and it definitely, it was warm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't five and a half degrees out. I can, I could tell you if it was five degrees out. I mean, that would, yeah. Be, yeah. So yeah. anyway, there, there, there's a, there's a person close to my house that has a real high end uh, amateur weather station. Oh, wow. And he has a website that uh, publishes all of the data that he captures. And yeah. last night he recorded a low of 8.8 8, uh, degrees so Celsius get, here. Okay. So it did get down that far. Yeah. Hmm. But when I was up, it looks like it was probably about 10 degrees out. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, it always is one of those strange things here where we have, and I think, you know, from what I've, from what I've read, this area has what's called the high, and I didn't even know what this was till I moved here, but the highest diurnal temperature variance or something like that in North America, where you can have, um, you know, a, a daytime high and a nighttime low that have this huge uh, difference, right? Like I've, I've seen it be 38 degrees Celsius. I remember I was observing with Mike one night, we went out to grasslands and it was 38 above, it was more than 38 above. And we set up, we observe with t-shirts on, then we put sweaters on, then we put coats on, then we put mittens on, then we put lined pants on and we went to bed. And when we get up in the morning, we had to break the ice off our tents because it was minus two. So it went from plus 38 to minus two. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. We can get some pretty big swings, especially like when there's a low front pushing through, it can really turn things upside down quickly. Yeah. Sorry, but you were saying you, you were looking at the Noctilucens and we did have a really great display. Mike took a beautiful photo of it. Last night? No, uh, the other night. I think, did, did he not, did, did he send that to you? Maybe he just sent it to me. Uh, I can't remember. So I hadn't, I have not seen Noctilucens myself uh, this year. You know, I've seen lots of photographs of them. Last Sunday, uh, I think is when I sent you guys a text to say, mm. oh, you know, there's a lot of Noctilucent going on. And I had taken a, a picture with my phone that captured them a little bit. Mm. Um, so that was my first sight of them. And then like last night, well, I was just shocked that they were visible, I guess, at that time. I guess it kind of makes sense. You're, mm -hmm. you know, I was probably about 90 minutes or so out from sunrise. And, uh, you know, that would have been probably, you know, the right timing for them, but they were all over the sky. Like they, mm. well, I shouldn't say the entire sky, but like the North Northeast part of the sky was, was pretty vibrant with them. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. Um, so I'm happy that I got some Noctilucent sightings this year and uh, hopefully I'll get a few more. Yeah. Um, and then my, my more intentional observing this week. Uh, so I did a little bit of solar observing earlier in the week too, during the day. Uh, there is a giant, like a huge prominence just on the limb. Uh, and I think I talked a little bit about this on last week's episode, but uh, I kept observing this uh, prominence uh, into Sunday and then I think a little bit Monday. Um, but the, uh, so, you know, you and I have the same mini Borg 50 millimeter telescope, which I know you're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, we're both on similar uh, destined, or I think we're both trying to reach a similar destination, but the path we're taking is a little different. So, and, and that's the beauty of the Borg, right? They're yeah. so modular. You can do a lot of different things with them. Or the burden um, of the Borg. <laughs> what's that? Or the burden of the Borg. The, yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is too, I, I was thinking, you know, at some point we should probably put out like a, a PSA to state that, you know, while we're having fun with the mini Borg, in no way would I recommend anybody else attempt this because it's, this. A, it's a money pit. 
don't <laughs> it do makes that. it really makes no sense at all but um yeah. it's i guess it's fun but anyway what i did so my my destination that i'm trying to reach is is kind of two parts one is i would like to have uh, the option of uh, like using it as a 50 millimeter finder, mm-hmm. uh, but with the right angle, correct image. So an Amici prism on there. Um, so that when I'm looking through it, the stars appear how they would appear in an Atlas. And I don't have to do the mental gymnastics of reversing everything. Right. They're uh, right side up and correct left to right. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's one application of this. And then I just want the, the other application is to simply have, a, you know, one of the, probably lightest, most transportable grab and go telescopes that provides like the current, like the widest field of view that, you know, you can almost, yeah. uh, you know, likely get with, you know, somewhat decent aperture. Yep. Um, so, you know, the, I've got like the part two figured out, you know, in terms of the nice lightweight grab and go telescope, I've got all the pieces and parts and, you know, everything's figured out and I'm happy with where I am there. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't so thrilled with the prism, uh, so far because, uh, you know, like, like they don't, you know, the Borg mini 50 doesn't really have an inherent focuser for it. So you have to either put one kind of into the, uh, uh, focal path, like part of the OTA, yeah. um, like a helical focuser, uh, is, is probably the most common way to do it. And then recently I saw that William optics, uh, I think this is a fairly new product from them. Okay. Uh, it, it's an inch and a quarter, right angle, correct image, uh, Amici prism, uh, an inch, did I say an inch and a quarter? I'm not yep. sure. Okay. Sorry. Um, that's, that's what being up since like two thirty <laughs> does to yeah. my brain. Um, inch and uh, a quarter in- is, is my astronomy gang name. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. Um, anyway, this, this William optic diagonal. Um, not only, you know, is all of the Amici prism stuff that I want, but it has a helical focuser built into it. So where you drop the eyepiece in actually rotates and provides 15 millimeters. Uh, so a centimeter, no, yeah, I think that's about right. 15 yeah, millimeters, half, yeah. 15 millimeters of travel. And, uh, uh, the mini Borg also like in the configuration that I have has a sliding draw tube. So the draw tube moves the lens, you know, further away from the eyepiece or closer, which achieves like rough focus. Then I use the, uh, Amici prism helical focuser for fine focusing just to get it, you know, nice and tight. So that I ordered that thing and it arrived last week and I was able to test it out and man. I was really impressed with this thing. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, don't talk too positively about Amici prisms and, uh, their use for actually like for doing astronomy, for looking at the night sky. But I put this thing in there. Uh, I was using my 24 millimeter pen optic and it was really good. Like it was pretty sharp across the whole field. Uh, the other 10 or 15% started to drop off, but even that drop off wasn't so bad that it was unusable. Like it was actually very usable and, um, not distracting at all. So, you know, first go at it, I was thoroughly impressed. And, um, the other thing that arrived was those stellar view 50 millimeter guide scope rings. So I use those on uh, the mini Borg. And then I have some other sort of odds and ends for mounting like, you know, red dot finders and such. So I was able to mount like a, uh, uh, I don't know, the accessory uh, uh, dovetail portion onto the finder. It goes into the shoe that's on my TAC 76. 
And, you know, it's, it's a really nice little setup. It didn't yeah. add considerable weight um, to really cause like huge balance issues. Yeah. Um, the only way I do have huge balance issues uh, is if I put a heavier eyepiece into uh, the tack. If I'm yeah. using some of my lighter weight eyepieces, no, no problem at all. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, you know, my path with the Borg might actually be complete because I'm super thrilled with this William Optic and BC Prism. Yeah. Um, and the setup just seems to be pretty bang on right now. So, uh, you know, I want to use it a little bit more before I, I make that full conclusion, but right now I'm quite thrilled with what I have. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. I, I think I'm, re- I think I'm pretty close to, um, I, I actually, I want to see yours and I might, I might actually copy some of your mods. So, you know, and, and I gotta, I gotta, you know, sort of buttress what you were saying about, uh, not recommending people to do this. This is basically like, like getting into model training. Like if you were, I had a model train as a kid and this is like model training, um, your telescope collection kind of thing because it's just like a million different parts. Oh no, I bought the N scale, not the HO scale. Right. It's just like like that. But um, so let's see. Uh, Are you ready for me to go over it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hear yours. Okay. So, so I was out three nights um, with, with my sort of most recent and, and this is like really the, the largest modification to the Borg. So these are 50 millimeter, Acromatic telescope. So basically, these are finder scopes, um, and, and, so, and they're super fast, right? Like f five yeah. for an acromat. You know, you you just typically don't get great performance, like particularly like color correction, um, and and you know, I think often you'll probably end up with some astigmatism or, or some sort of aberration yeah. on the edges, just with it being so fast. And yeah. So anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, no, not at all. Um, because you know. It, this is just a real, I don't know what to, what to call these things. This it's, it's sort of, this is a very strange thing I think for people to do. So, so anyway, but we're doing it, we're doing it anyway, and we're both doing it. And really this is kind of the way to do it is to find somebody else that wants to do this and work through it with them because the parts are very complicated. Um, anyway, to make a long story short. So, so this week I got three little boxes. So when you, when you order the stuff, um, you know, it, it's a little bit confusing. And then when the stuff arrives, if you buy it new or you buy like new used parts, um, you get them in these boxes and they just have like a part number on them. And then you open them up and they've got little screws and like, there's a million little parts that go with this. It's not like you get a telescope in a box and you open it up and then, okay, I got the telescope. Maybe you have to put a dovetail on or something. These things have like, I mean, I bought eight parts and I probably have 35 little screws and Allen keys. Right. I mean, like really that's no joke. It's something like that. It's pretty ridiculous and you need to learn the Borg language. So it's like a combination of Ikea and model railroading. Like, I mean, I, I bought one part and it came with three Allen keys and, and four different types of screws. I mean, it's, it's wild. So anyway, um, what arrived this week, uh, actually it arrived a week ago. I think it came like on, previous Friday or something, but I, anyway, I didn't have time to get it together because I wanted to observe. So if I'm observing, I'm not putting together telescopes that doesn't happen. I go observing. And then when I get crappy weather, which always comes eventually, then I start doing this kind of stuff. So what arrived was a 60 millimeter tube ring because I, I couldn't find one used as soon as it arrived. Uh, one went up for sale on Baye for 43 bucks. So yeah, 
it is what it is. And I bought a 60 millimeter tube length simply because if I, if I bought the tube length used, um, the cost of shipping it would have increased the price so much that I might as well have just bought a new one when I ordered these other parts. And then I bought an Arca Swiss plate adapter, which strangely enough works to adapt Vixen plates. I don't know how you adapt Arca Swiss plates. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. I kind of had to make that leap of faith that it would work by looking at what other people have done online. I found one guy who, who used an Arca Swiss plate adapter for Vixen plates and it works beautifully. It's actually the best plate adapter I have. Strangely enough, it's not a Vixen plate adapter. So what does this allow me to do? All right. So I can put the mini Borg on a Vixen rail and the Arca Swiss adapter actually pushes it off and it's jogged out a bit, just like the, uh, the Takahashi 60 millimeter um, bracket and, and shoe combination, but this one actually works a little bit better. I'm, I'm really happy with it. And I can, and sort of the method to my madness here is that even though this cost a few dollars, what I can actually do is find a used Borg 80 ring and I can actually put it on my TAC 60 and use the same combination. So these parts for my Borg uh, 50 are actually interchangeable or some of them are interchangeable with my Takahashi setup to actually improve that setup a little bit. So that's going to work. That's going to work actually really quite well. So I look forward to that. Um, and so what does this allow me to do with the 50 Borg? Uh, well, I can actually rotate my um, diagonals so I can mount it up on any of my little mounts and then it sits off the mount. Cause one of the things when you're, when you're working with telescopes that are this small, you're, if, if you mount uh, a dovetail plate right to the ring and then mount that ring or that plate right to the mount, it's kind of like your face is like an inch and a half away from your mount. And that that's really awkward to move the telescope. Like you're, it's kind of like you're, you're almost like adjusting your glasses or something. It's so close. Right. And yeah, yeah. it's difficult to balance and it's difficult to point um, it's still not that easy to point it. Like it, it definitely is a different skill pointing it than it is even pointing the 60, the 60 has similar challenges just because the tube length is so short, but this one's only 250 millimeter focal length. So it's, it's hundred millimeters less than the 60 actually even more than that. And, uh, and so that's the only thing it's, it's a little bit touchy to point, but it's not bad. And the field of view is spectacular. Like I just, I just love it. So basically this, this is essentially a 50 millimeter camera lens. It's kind of what it looks like with a helical focuser, just like your camera lens would have, but I've got a two inch diagonal on the end of it. I can swap in two and a quarter inch diagonals or a MISI prisms to make it a finder scope. And so you get this, this really, it's a really utilitarian telescope because you can use it. This is what I always wanted since I first got into astronomy is to have, like you were saying, a little mini finder scope that not just works as a finder scope, but it also works as a little telescope too. And this actually does that. And it's the only thing I've seen that really does it. There's some other companies that put ones out and they say, oh, you can use it like a little finder scope and a little telescope, but it doesn't really quite, none of them really quite work like that because th there's a lot of challenges actually getting different eyepieces to focus in such a short focal length instrument. It, you just kind of would abandon it after a while. And I had one 
and it was 50 millimeter, but I could only get like 18 to 24 mil or 18 to 23 millimeter eyepieces to focus. So I couldn't put like a higher power eyepiece in and the image had a lot of color and blah, blah, blah. But with the, with the Borg mini 50, you can set it up to focus any eyepiece. That's pretty incredible. And mm -hmm. then um, you can actually use power. So this is, this is what I did, but I still think that Probably, you know, if somebody's looking for a small, portable, easy to use little telescope, I still think nothing really beats the 80 millimeter F5 because it's inexpensive. It has more light grasp than, than these instruments do. It has still amazing wide field of view, even in one and a quarter inch mode, you get, I don't know, like five degrees or something or close to five degrees. And then um, it's, it's light and portable. Whereas these, these are even more portable still but it takes so much work and effort to actually get them worked up to be able to be able to use. So I'm not sure if you've, if you've sent out any of the photos of them yet, Shane, but if, if you want to post some, that would be cool. Yeah. I think I've tweeted a couple in the past, but I should probably send some new or tweet some new ones out. Um, because both of our builds, I think have changed a little bit. Um, yeah. so yeah, I'll, I'll tweet some out. Yeah. And I mean, this is just like almost like a little hobby within, within the hobby. And I think they are really cool. Um, you know, you can work them up to be a finder scope, which is actually how I thought I would pretty much just use it. And then I thought I would use it as, as a telescope. I don't know, just rarely for novelty, or maybe if I went on some sort of trip and I needed absolutely the most minimal breakdown of telescope, but I, I've actually end up, I've ended up using it like three or four times in the past week already which kind of surprised me. Um, and the reason why is because it is, it is so good. So I had one session on the moon. Um, I don't know what I was looking at, but I was just, I was just looking at the moon. I was kind of playing around with how the whole thing just worked the first night. Um, but man, it was so sharp. The images of the moon were just, they just blew me away. I was using my 40 millimeter Pentax in it, which kind of stops it down a bit. And my um, Dr. 12 and a half which gives like, I don't know, like 20 power or something like that. It's 20 power. Yeah. And, and it was just spectacular. Like you can see the moon and then you, you know, and, and there it is, like it was sort of like a first quarter moon or pretty close to it and it's hanging in space and it's got this huge space around it. Like yeah. just this massive, massive amount of sky and the moon's just sitting there. It like really looks kind of weird. So this is only giving me six power. Um, but yet you can really see the craters on it. And that's the one thing that surprised me is, is with these, you're getting all the resolution that, um, like a 40 to 50 million, you know, at six power, I'm only really at 40 millimeters cause it's getting stopped down, but it's giving you all the resolution. And I was surprised that cause with my seven by 35 binoculars, I feel like I'm not getting all that. I'm it's, it's resolving more than they resolve that, you know, having, <laughs> having used it now. Uh, I can tell you that this, this gives you a lot of resolution for a 50 millimeter or 40 millimeter scope. And then I had one early morning session where I just observed Jupiter and it wasn't amazing. Um, it was, it was, it was good. Um, observing conditions that is the telescope surprised me though. Um, I went out and did another night on Jupiter and I was, what I was surprised at is that, well, one, that there is a little bit of an annoyance that the field of view, the telescope is so wide and it is taking in the full field. When I say stop down with the 40 Pentax, it's my eye that's stopping it down. The telescope will give you the entire range of sky for whatever eyepiece you put in. If you put in 
the 40 Pentax is giving me a 10, almost 11 degree field of view. It's really wide. I guess it is about 11 degrees and that is a huge field of view and you get the whole thing. Um, but my eye is only able to dilate so much that it's, it's kind of stopping it down. And I put my 30 millimeter wide scan three in and it's the same thing. It doesn't perform as well because it's, it's an inexpensive coning, but, uh, Anyhow, I looked at Jupiter and I could, I could see all the moons, even, even at super low power, like at, uh, at seven or eight power, whatever I was using. And, you know, the planet itself, you can't see any details, just like looking at it with a pair of binoculars, really, it's a disc, but um, you don't see any detail, just, just like with binoculars. But I could actually see the moons much easier through this than I can through my seven by 35s. Honestly, through my seven by 35s, the moons are really hit and miss. And honestly, it's more of a miss than a hit with my seven by 35s really need like an eight by 40 before I can start pulling in the moons and 10 by 50. Yeah, they're there. So this telescope works more like a 10 by 50. I actually thought it would work more like a seven by 35, but in, in reality, it, it punches above that. So I was kind of surprised there. And then um, let's see. Yeah. I could start to see detail on the cloud tops at 20 X. And then I started using 53 power and I could actually see the bands. I could see the main, whatever the main band is, the, the North Equatorial band right now. Um, and then I could see the, I could see two or three of the other ones. And then it's just starting to flirt with some other detail on the cloud tops. And so that really surprised me. I didn't think I would quite get that level of detail in, in an objective lens that costs basically as much as, as a decent, not a high-end um, 50 millimeter camera lens. So, cause this really is just priced like a good 50 millimeter camera lens, not like the best one you can get. So I tried my three and a half millimeter, but the scene just, just didn't seem to hold, but I think like when that would give 70 power, I think probably the best power is going to be 60. So it does make me want to try to find like a 40 millimeter eyepiece at some point. I think 60 would, uh, would probably give you, um, the best views on most nights. And then, you know, I read in the forums, you know, there, there's been some, uh, over the past couple of years, there's been some posts where people are trying to make like these ultra low power, rich field telescopes. And you'll see a lot of posts where people will say that in this type of aperture, like the size of aperture and power, you know, basically uh, 40 to 50 millimeter instruments um, operating at, you know, six to eight uh, power and maybe a little bit more if you put eyepieces in, um, that this is best suited to handheld binoculars. What are your thoughts at this time, Shane? <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the thing with handheld binoculars, unless you have them on a tripod um, or they're image stabilized, uh, in my opinion, you're already compromised. Now, not compromised in that they don't work, but no matter, at least for me, you know, and I'm sure there's some people that are just better at holding binoculars steady. There's, there's a little bit of movement there. And that little bit of movement um, is enough in my opinion, uh, that it takes away your ability to see some of the fainter detail or fainter stars that it, that is out there where, you know, if it's a rock solid mount, or again, you have image stabilization, your eye then can just pull in all of that, you know, faint light and, and you can see more detail. Um, so that's to me, the big part of this. Now, the other part is that, um, you know, that, that lens is just a really good performing lens on that little yeah. board, which really, you know, surprises me how good it is. Exactly. Yeah. So there's been a few, there's been a few surprises because I've always been a binocular fan. I think definitely like a good pair of seven by 35s or eight by forties. If someone's starting out, like you've got to get those, like there's, 
the utility of just being able to look through them and point without having to really hunt for things. And I think that's that's a benefit. They're they're definitely a little bit easier to use for for a beginner. But then, you know, for getting that ultra wide field of view and and being able to apply power, um, these things are are really quite amazing. I'm really really impressed by them. Um, yeah, and and I think the 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 knock against this is again that Borg language of that seemingly infinite number of Borg model part numbers, which are, are not easy to derive, you know, like a 7860 is a part number for an 80 millimeter tube. Like you have 80 millimeter tube size, you have 60 millimeter tube size, you have one and a quarter um, parts, you have two inch parts, you have camera parts, you have Arca Swiss parts, you have Vixen parts, you have, it just goes on and on and on. Like, like why would they make like, I forget how many different brands and not brands, but different versions of these two inch focusers they've made for it, but there has to be at least half a dozen that they've produced. And yeah. yeah. And and like lots with different, different thread sizes, you know, at, at both ends of the focuser, you know, like M57 there's, you know, the M42, the T2, like there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of differences now, you know, that lends it to being super module. It will, you know, it will adapt to anything you want it to do. Um, it's just a matter of getting the right parts, which, you know, sometimes is a lot and, and it can be expensive, um, yeah. which, you know, we've alluded to, like, you know, had I known what this would turn into, I'm not sure I would have started this project, uh, you know, but it's been fun and I, you know, I'm enjoying it, but it just doesn't really make sense to do <laughs> for the most part. No, I mean, I knew, I kind of knew it was going to be expensive, but my take on it was that I'd always wanted to have a really good finder scope and I have a, I have a good one, but the challenge with it was that um, it could only take one and a quarter inch eyepieces. It was a little on the heavy side, like just too heavy to mount on one of my small refractors, like even my hundred millimeter refractor. And that's really where I wanted to have a good finder scope. The other ones are small enough that they're basically like big finder scopes anyway. Um, so I really wanted to have the ability to use something as a finder, but I also wanted to be able to slot in two inch eyepieces to have like that ultra wide, low power field of view um, when I want it. And this, this is really the only true game in town, unless you actually yeah. um, build your own, right? Like customize some sort of setup using machinery and machining your own stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, and, and in two inch mode, you know, we've talked about it a little bit too, just like how the balance uh, becomes a real challenge with this little telescope. Yeah. Cause there's like almost no moment arm because of how short the OTA is. Um, what I found that works somewhat well, or, or at least better is, is to not use an astronomy telescope mount, like an alt as mount. I, I kind of ditch those and I have a, an old man Frodo video mount. That's like a liquid head or whatever they call it. And, um, it seems to work a lot better in dealing okay. with balance issues. Um, there's just more inherent like resistance built into those types of mounts. And then with the um, handle, right? Like, yeah. Have, yeah. Yeah. And then you have the handle to move everything around yeah. rather than this just tiny little OTA. And I found when I had it in two inch mode on like my little, um, my little stellar view, uh, what the heck is it? Uh, M1 mount, yeah. just a simple alt as mount, you know, you kind of get it locked in so that it's not, you know, it's not sagging or anything like that due to the weight. But then when you'd move it inherently, you'd like, you know, 
you change the angle or whatever, because it's just so sensitive to balance at that point. Yeah. Mine's not quite as sensitive. I think just the way that I have it set up um, with the Arca Swiss um, bracket. Um, but um, it's, it's just a little awkward to move because I mean, <laughs> there's just not much telescope there. <laughs> like it's really like, there's really like a precise pivot point. And I feel like I'm still learning where that is. So when I go to actually move the telescope, sometimes I'm a bit off and it's almost like I'm trying to like, instead of like turn, like, like the, I don't know, like, like, a like pivot a bar that has like a, like a rivet through it. I'm like, just trying to like twist the bar itself. Right. Like, okay. It doesn't turn that way. It turns like it's, it's always a little bit of a game trying to figure out where I can actually, you know, position my hands to actually get it to rotate around that, uh, that pivot point. It, it seems like it shouldn't be such a challenge. So I think, uh, I think I'll try putting it on the, the Manfrotto head now that I actually have, like this. And, and the cool thing about the Arca Swiss, um, adapter is I can thread this right onto any, um, any tripod, uh, like pan head, like it will just thread right onto it now naturally. So, and it chokes back. So it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, but it's, but it's got this, um, like the, the way, the way the adapter is, it has like a bar on the bottom, but then it attaches to the plate or the, uh, not the plate. Well, it attaches to the plate on one side, but on the other side, you have your ring, but the, the plate actually can, it, it kicks back. So it's underneath like your diagonal, right? So you can actually achieve a better balance point using this. So mm-hmm. I can, I can always keep it in balance. And that's, that's, it's a similar design as the, uh, as the one piece ring for the tax 60. So I, th- I think it works. I think it works well. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So it's hard, it's hard to describe. I should, uh, anyway, I should do another photo, but I did measure, I did measure the field of view. It's pretty crazy. Um, so with my wide scan three, I'm getting just over 10 and a half degrees. I'm getting like 10.7 degrees. And that's incredible. And, and the wide scan three, what are the specs on that? It's, it's a really poorly executed Koenig of 30 millimeter, 84 degree. It, it's got about a 44 millimeter field stop on it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read in some places it's 41. I've read in some places it's 44. So if I, if I wear my glasses, it acts more like a 41 millimeter field stop and I get about 75 degrees. But if, but if I take my glasses off and push my eye into it and, and get that kind of field of view, I, I get, uh, much wider. So about an 80 to 84 degree field of view on it. And, uh, yeah, I could put, um, Alioth and Alcade in it, which are, you know, you see those three stars on the handle of the big dipper. Well, I can get that whole handle of the big dipper in the field of view. There's a lot of distortion on the edges from field mm-hmm. curvature, astigmatism in the telescope, astigmatism in my eye. And, uh, that's, that's not a pretty picture, like just to kind of break it down like that. What is pretty though, is when you go across and you kind of just back off a little and with my glasses on, or even with my glasses off, I was looking at M22 in Sagittarius and I can fit easily and in, in good focus and the whole thing looking very clean M22 to M8, M20 run one region. I can get that whole area of sky in all in one go. And that actually looks really good. Wow. So were you able to see any of the nebulosity in uh, the Trifid or the Lagoon? 
in the lagoon. Yeah. Even from my, even from my light polluted backyard. So we've had all oh. this rain recently <laughs> sort of, and sort of on the horrible side, the, the biting insects are really quite bad mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's not fun, but um, some of the trees have grown up around my property that I planted strategically and now I can, I have a little dark spot. I have a tiny little dark spot in my yard and I can actually see nebula. <laughs> so I can finally see nebulosity from my yard after 12 years. <laughs> so yeah, I could, I could see the nebula in, in the lagoon. I, I was actually surprised how good things looked. It was pretty good the night I was out uh, and it's two o'clock in the morning. So most of the people that have lights on that turn lights off before they go to bed, all those kind of lights are off in the neighborhood. So it kind of bumps the sky up just, just another level. And uh, yeah, I could, I could really start to see some stuff and I was, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at the scope. You know, I was looking at uh, the summer beehive as well with it. I was looking at, um, you know, that Taurus Poniatowski region and, and, you know, some things like that. I mean, you, you can see like, you know, quite a bit, like I'm in a fairly light polluted backyard, but I'm able to see like the messy objects. I imagine that I could see maybe not the fainter ones. Like I'm probably not going to see like the owl nebula and I'm not going to see, you know, like M106 or anything like that, or the, or the Virgo cluster, but uh, you know, the brighter messiers are going to be visible through this from, from my backyard. So I was kind of, I was a little bit surprised at that. I didn't expect to see those kind of things. Cause I kind of, kind of struggle to see them a little bit in my binoculars, but, uh, but I think because this is mounted, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable. I think that that is kind of ratcheting up the, uh, the magnitude that you can actually see with it. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Like that, that was kind of my point about binoculars, unless they're stabilized or on a tripod, they're slightly compromised just because of that. You know, you don't have that same rigidity, that same comfort to really study the field. Right. And then also you, you don't have the ability to increase the power. Yeah. And so it's, it, you know, it's, it's one thing to go out in the yard. I've got a really bad bug bite here. So if you hear me adjusting, I'm just massaging it. <laughs> and, and Cause one of the, one of the mosquitoes like crawled down my shirt and I don't, maybe it was something else. Cause I got a pretty good welt here going. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like a great, it's a great, cool little telescope. Um, the punches above its weight, very surprising. And again, like, boy, like I've taken my 60 on trips, but this is just an order of magnitude smaller than the 60. And, you know, although the 60 goes into my bag, I kind of got to pick and choose a few things to take out of the bag to take it. But I think this will just disappear into my luggage when I, when I do go to travel again. Um, there would be, you know, I do think about the 60 every time, like, do I really want to take it? Oh, I'll take it. Like I bought it to take on these trips and I do. Um, but this thing, if there was any kind of thought in my head, well, wherever I'm going, like sometimes I go places and I know people are going to have telescopes and equipment and I'm just kind of taking along my piece of gear to, to kind of have something and then steal some quite a bit of views through their gear. Um, you know, this, this is just a great, uh, a great instrument to take, uh, for those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I, you know, I don't think there's anything smaller, you know, and part of it is because of the modularity. Like if you just take that lens cell out, it literally fits in like your shirt pocket and it wouldn't be uncomfortable at all to transport like that. You know, you would throw the, the rest of the OTA and everything in, in your checked bags. Yeah. Um, but it is so 
portable. Like there's nothing more portable. And, and that is the board, you know, one of the board things, right. Is, is they yeah. break down. You can, you can just take the smallest bits that are like the, the glass, you know, in your, in your carry on and, and not be too over encumbered. And, uh, you know, that's one of the other unique properties or, or use cases for a board. Yeah. There's, um, and there's always the rule that you never want to use an objective that is smaller than the field stop for the eye pieces of which you're using. So considering like my Pentax is a 46 and a half millimeter field stop, really as small as, as I really can go without kind of impinging upon that is, is about a 50 millimeter. Um, they do make a 45 ED F 7.2. Um, and you see those, those come up from time to time. I hear that the quality on those varied quite a bit. I've, I have nothing to base this on other than a bunch of reviews that I've read online. I've read some really great reviews of them. Um, well, and there's two versions of those. There's the, like the original one and then oh. there's a series two one. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah. The original one I think has more of the negative reviews. I've heard if you get oh. the 45 ED two, oh. that it's just solid. Like I've heard. I've read a number of reviews where people say the ED, the 45 ED two actually blows away the, the mini Borg 50 hmm. simply because it can take way more power. Huh. Now, you know, that's interesting, but to me, so it's longer focal length, which that's also seven, means not, seven, two, I think so right around there. Yeah. Like that, yeah. So it's not as wide of a field of view. And to me, you're not buying a 50 millimeter or 45 millimeter telescope to use high magnification. You're buying that for the rich fields, like the wide fields. So I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure about the 45. Um, I, I think I'd rather have the shorter focal length of the, the 50 millimeter so that I can get a wider field of view because, you know, I'm not looking to take this thing to 150 times magnification to look at doubles or planets. Yeah. Yeah. It's 7.2. So yeah, it gets to be a bit problematic because my, my 60 millimeter tack, which is awesome, um, is 355, right? So, yeah, yeah. so you're kind of getting up in, into that focal range. So you're, you're, you're starting to toss away, in my opinion, too much of the, uh, too much of the field of view gain. So you might as well go back up to a 60 millimeter at that point. Cause really, honestly, the difference in size with these and the 60, it's, it's big, but it's not that big. And even the difference in size between these and an 80 millimeter, like if one is just not traveling with it, um, it really doesn't make that much sense to have as a standalone. So mm -hmm. the, the trick with these is they're multi-purpose. In fact, the way they were designed and using, using them as I have the past couple months, the way that they're designed is really threefold. You're really, in my opinion, supposed to use it as a camera lens, as a finder scope, and as a spotting scope. And, and if, you, if you were thinking about having something that could do those three things really, really well, then that would be uh, a great combination. When you knock away, like we're not using them as camera lenses, but when we're using them as spotting scopes and as like these, these really transformable finder scopes, um, I still think that there, there's enough utility in them. But I think if you were only going to use it for either as a finder scope or you were only going to use it as a spotting scope, no, <laughs> like no way. This is not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> it's just, it's kind of ridiculous, you know, like, so what, what I was thinking about this, I don't know if you have much more to add, but sort of my, my final thoughts <laughs> on this are that 
I think we actually talked more about the mini Borgs than we did about our Takahashis when we bought them last year. And these telescopes are a fraction of the cost of those. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, but you know, part of the fun with the Borg in a way, while it's frustrating, it's also fun is just piecing it all together to come up with a configuration that works, you know? And yeah. Um, it sounds like we're both there. We're very close to, you know, finishing this project, which yeah. is probably good. It's uh, it's taken a lot of time and energy, but um, I think we'll have some pretty neat little telescopes to use. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 I think it would be kind of fun if we both had them out one night too. Um, oh, I'm totally thinking about that. As, as yeah. you know, I'm, I'm looking at a new dark site to sit yeah. Yeah. and I'm hoping that, uh, that, that, you know, we can kind of go out, maybe scout around on that site to see what, what are the best spots for, uh, for doing a more permanent setup. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. So I just want to say this though, is that these Borgs can now, uh, they can be purchased only used, um, but they, they must've made a ton of them because they're not rare at all. And so they're, they're easily available on, on all markets. I've seen them in Canada. Even there was a guy here in Regina selling one. I, that, that's why I got it. Uh, <laughs> And, and they replaced it though, with the 55 FL and that is more aimed at astro imagers from what I've been able to gather there's one guy who turned it into like a mini scope, but, uh, I really, actually there's, there's two or three people I've seen online if I think about it, but those, those 55 FLs, they're fluorite lenses. I'm sure they're spectacular, but there's a few things in my mind that, that kind of knock against it is one, they're even faster. They're F 4.5. So the same focal length, but I'd have to rejig my low power eyepieces because, um, yeah, I mean, you're going to start getting really big exit pupils at four and a half. That's even harder on eyepieces. And then, um, the other thing is, is that the cost of the lens alone, even, I, I, maybe not used, but new the lens alone cost is more than I've spent on all the adapters, all the shipping, all the import, like everything combined here that I got is only about two thirds the cost of, of that lens. So, uh, so you'd have to get that lens and then go through all this. And I think that that when you can buy it as a full set, ready to go for two inch um, diagonals and observe um, I think it's like 12 or $1,400 American or something like that. It, it's a lot of money for a 55 millimeter scope. Whereas we're really into that, um, almost an identical setup for just a fraction of that cost. So, you know, uh, so there's that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fluorite, I'm sure, like, I'm sure it's a wonderful telescope, but it is not inexpensive. And when you start talking about that kind of money, you have a whole lot of options in front of you, uh, for, yeah. you know, bigger aperture, um, or, or, you know, spending a lot less on the telescope and buying a lot of accessories like eyepieces, diagonals, uh, you know, and, and, and coming away with a more complete package than just, you know, a 55 millimeter telescope. And that, I think that telescope, it may be, it probably has slightly different performance characteristics than my, than my tax 60, but I think I would take the tax 60 over it. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah it, it's just going to be a, a more logical uh, thing to do, like even my tax 60 fully outfitted, um, with a custom focuser with, with the 1.7 extender with, you know, all, all tripped out, you know, um, is still less than that telescope. So mm -hmm. yeah, that, that one just, just doesn't do it for me. Whereas the 50, 
I can actually mount on my tag. So I can actually have my 50 millimeter, you know, you really get your cake and eat it too with this. It's not, it, it's expensive for what we got. But like I said, it's been fun. Um, I'm going to use it a lot. And it does two things superbly. Like it's the best finder you can get that's 50 millimeters. It's the best 50 millimeter spotter you can get I, I, that I've ever looked through anyway. So it, it's got it's got a lot going for it. So Shane, what's your final word on the Borg 50 for this episode? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a fun telescope. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, I think I've got everything figured out and you know, I just want to use it now and, and using it means a lot of different things because it has a lot of different applications. I give the Borg 50 four and a half out of five stars. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Anything else this week? That is all my friend. I read a book on Mercury. I bought a vintage book oh, on Mercury. Yeah, yeah. That book is good. It it's it's completely so the book is by uh, Patrick Moore. Uh, it's a it it was a French book um, written by somebody from Greece and um, by Ian Antoniadi, who's a famous observer. Uh, the book focuses on the atmosphere of Mercury, and there's no atmosphere on Mercury, and it focuses on some of the other sort of things that have been uh, dispelled uh, since the 1920s. And um, when I bought the book, I thought it was going to be this really big book, but it turned out it's more like a pamphlet that's been hardbound and it's really small. It's this tiny little book, but it's really cool to read about, um, you know, how he observed it and how others were observing it and the sketches in it are, are beautiful. Um, but a lot of the information of course is, is inaccurate. Um, so I read that this week. That was fun. Um, and then I'm also continuing to read the Caldwell objects book, mm. um, through about 60 objects now. Um, good. Yeah. Been enjoying that. And, uh, yeah, I, I bought a couple books, really inexpensive books on observing with small telescopes that I've always wanted that were like five or six dollars Canadian kind of thing um, from different places like in the States with free shipping and that sort of stuff. So they've been slowly uh, trickling in and yeah, filling my filling my bookshelf. But other than that, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. Mm-hmm.